Hello? Dr. Pete, there you are. Yes, hi. Hi, good morning. How are things with you, sir? Pretty good. Pretty good? Pretty good? What'd you have for breakfast? Oh, I'm just coffee and milk. <laughs> coffee and milk. <laughs> coffee and milk. It's so funny. There's so many people out there, Dr. Pete, that, that tell you, well, you just shouldn't drink milk. I mean, milk, we're the only mammals in the world that don't drink milk after weaning, and it's just going to kill you and all of that. And it hasn't killed you. Uh, nope. Um, it's actually uh, one of the cleanest foods available because of the, the cow filtering it through many layers chemically. Uh, the rumen uh, processes uh, uh, the toxins out of the, the plant material. Uh, when you eat the same leaves that a cow eats, uh, you absorb many allergens and toxic materials that the the plant uh, puts into its leaves defensively intended to uh, kill bugs or anyone who would damage them, mm-hmm. eating holes in their leaves and such. Uh, and uh, so really there are uh, chemical pesticides naturally in plant material. Seeds are, are the most uh, uh, precious to the plant. Uh, their, their whole uh, generation uh, depends on the seeds being viable and not being eaten by uh, microorganisms or uh, large organisms. Uh, so they have the most uh, intense uh, toxins and blockers of the digestive system. Uh, when you look at the uh, chemicals uh, in in seeds, uh, it turns out that they uh, block the digestive enzymes of mammals and insects, but they don't affect that same type of enzyme in plants. Uh, so it's obvious that they're uh, directed towards uh, defense against uh, being eaten uh, and. Uh, in, unless you have uh, very sophisticated lab equipment, uh, you just can't separate the good stuff from the toxins. But uh, the cow's rumen uh, uh, is uh, such that the, the microorganisms do the, the chemistry of uh, eliminating the bad stuff, increasing the good stuff. Hmm. Um, at, the, at the local at the local store. They have a few choices of organic milk, and but I didn't want to get one of those big, huge things because I don't drink a lot of it. But I wanted to try a little, and I, I just got some half and half organic, and boy, that was that's pretty fun to drink. You know, getting a lot of good fat in there. Ooh. I, I, yeah, that I I use cream or half and half in my coffee. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's with this uh, A two for cows? And is there any is there anything for that if you get a a Jersey A2 cow that's easier to digest and, and talk about the difference between goat milk and cow milk. Oh, uh, there's a big difference between uh, the, the milk of all species, but they still have in common the uh, uh, the, the rumen uh, uh, milk. Uh, camels, goats, sheep, cows, uh, yamas, uh, uh, the, that type of animal uh, produces the safest milk. Uh, the, the reason people don't uh, uh, drink pig milk or bear milk or such mm-hmm. is that they don't have rumens, and, and so all the plant toxins go into their milk. Uh, 
They don't have rumens. And explain what rumens are exactly. Uh, it's an extra stomach that the, the vegetable material goes in and uh, soaks with uh, the, the body temperature uh, favors the growth of microorganisms which ferment and, and degrade uh, the plant material, uh, basically digesting it uh, with protozoa, uh, fungi, uh, bacteria, uh, all of all of the major types of microorganisms get a chance to uh, break down the plant material. Then that broken down material is uh, uh, goes through the regular digestive system, uh, analogous to what what we have. People and bears and pigs uh, uh, don't have that extra stomach, and, and so uh, the, what, whatever they eat pretty much goes uh, with minimal filtering mm-hmm. in, into the bloodstream. Dr. Ray Pete is with us. He has a Ph.D. in biology, University of Oregon, specialized in uh, physiology. He's taught in, 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 in schools. Uh, he's taught in University of Oregon, Urbana College, Montana State University, National College. College of Naturopathic Medicine, uh, University of Aracuzanza down in Mexico. He's done some work in Mexico. Started his work with the progesterone and related hormones in 1968. So he goes back. If you'd like to be on the show, uh, email wise, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com or 800 uh, thing is uh, not functioning today because of long story, but we're, we're working on that to get that fixed. So just use the email this morning, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. You know, you mentioned the pigs, and I often thought about how they do these various uh, testing on on animals, I guess rats, I guess that they use mice uh, for doing all these different testing. Uh, Dr. Peter, is, is that viable to, to do something on a mouse uh, or a rat and say, well, then that's the way it is for humans too? Uh, one great difference between uh, mice and rats <clears throat> is that they are... Uh, mainly nocturnal animals, uh, and if the experimenter is working in the lab in the daytime, and uh, they hmm. they keep the uh, rat or mouse uh, awake to do their experiments, they're creating intense stress in the animal. So the the uh, experimenter to do something analogous uh, to uh, what happens in a human. Uh, has to stay up all night to work with the <laughs> nocturnal animals, and, and they don't do that. So uh, automatically, <clears throat> you have to question mm-hmm. uh, what, what time of day they were doing their experiments. My goodness, yeah. Uh, and uh, very often, uh, if someone is selling a product, uh, they'll try out very different animals uh, so they can get the kind of results they want. Uh, around uh, in the 1960s and early 70s, the estrogen industry uh, was testing their products on dogs, and they found that uh, estrogen uh, would uh, damage the dog's bones. uh, uh, But uh, by using a a species that lives oppositely in, in the nighttime rather than daytime, uh, they found that estrogen would strengthen uh, the bones of, of mice and rats. But it, it happens that cortisol, which weakens dogs and, and humans' bones, cortisol uh, stimulates the growth of bones in these 
nocturnal hmm. animals. Uh, so what they're doing is uh, uh, choosing the animal that is specific to get the kind of result sure. they want. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I've often thought of the idea with the mice and a the rat. These these little guys are probably surrounded by a huge amount of electromagnetic fields with uh, who, who knows what kind of lights, right? All the um, all these weird lights that are not good for you. And then who knows what they're feeding them too. Uh, so that would, to me, it would put a fly in the ointment of results and how accurate they are. Um, uh, yeah, and they commonly use a, a very standardized controlled diet, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, there are prejudices built into what they call the standard diet. Uh, often they'll put in 6% of a, a so-called essential fatty acid uh, which uh, isn't at all, all essential when when some someone experiments leaving out those essential fatty acids, they get super rats or super mice, uh, very resistant to uh, poisons, trauma, shock, uh, venoms, uh, uh, aging diseases, very resistant to uh, diabetes, uh, all kinds of uh, biological. Uh, damage is less in the animals that are deficient in the so-called essential fatty acids. But since they uh, build those fats into the diet, uh, uh, then when they compare an experimental diet to the standard diet, uh, they're already biasing the experiment. They're making sick animals as their reference. And then if they're less sick, when they change the diet, hmm. uh, they they say that hmm. that means their uh, uh, recommend dead recommended uh, uh, additive is, is beneficial. I wonder who came up with the term essential fatty acids. Uh, uh, that was uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Burr, uh, uh, the um, I forget his first name. Uh, he and his wife. Uh, in around the late 1920s and early 1930s, got the idea that maybe fats were like a vitamin, even though two or three uh, research groups at big universities had demonstrated that you could have a totally fat-free diet and the animals actually lived longer. Uh, I think Osborne was the name of one of the research groups. But uh, the Burrs... Uh, got this idea and uh, created a a fat-free diet. But at that time, the B vitamins, most of the B vitamins hadn't been discovered, uh, and they were feeding a diet deficient in uh, the unsaturated fats, but also deficient in several of the B vitamins. And uh, they, they said they had created a deficiency disease in which the animals got sore tails and uh, areas of their face around their mouth uh, got uh, rashy and, and cracked. They said this is the uh, fatty acid deficiency symptom. But 15 years later, uh, a Texas Research Institute, at, at, uh, one of the universities there, uh, demonstrated they discovered uh, vitamin B6 and some of the other B vitamins, and they created the Burr 
uh, essential fatty acid deficient animals and then gave them only vitamin B6 in addition, no fat, and cured the deficiency symptom. So they, they in 1945 or 6, proved that there was no essential fatty acid. But meanwhile, the uh, petroleum industry was uh, working on uh, how to make plastics and paint the, the synthetic plastics uh, were being uh, engineered at the same time. And uh, the seed oils, like linseed oil, had been uh, the the bulk of plastics and paints up until that time. But petroleum chemistry replaced the seed oils. So uh, there was no longer a paint and plastics market uh, for linseed oil and, and uh, cottonseed oil and so on. Uh, so they had to uh, figure out some way to dispose of their product. The crop was being grown, but uh, no, no one needed it for paint. So they decided to sell it to the public as a food. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing happened uh, in in the 60s and 70s with fish oil. Mm-hmm. Fish oil had been uh, primarily used as varnish or fuel, uh, lamp fuel, but it made a, a good varnish because it hardens uh, on exposure to oxygen the way linseed oil does. Uh, but the fish processing factories were throwing away the skin and the fatty parts when they were canning uh, salmon or other fish, mm-hmm. and they were causing horrible pollution of, of the bay areas and land areas uh, adjacent to the factories. The EPA told them they had to figure out something to do with their waste material to uh, reduce the pollution. And uh, fish oil as a health food <laughs> came on the market. Let's right. just give it to the people. They'll eat it. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. I, I've suggested that, <laughs> that that might be the way to dispose of used tires. Yeah, it's no what, one. <laughs> yeah. make some kind of food out of it. But, it, but, it, but I, I've often... Kind of conjecture that wasn't fish oil though used early on, like eighteen hundreds and nineteen hundreds too. Isn't there some some records of that? Uh, oh yeah, it was um, for, for hundreds of years. It was known made a good varnish, and uh, whale whale oil was uh, a liquid uh, that, that was good for lamp oil. It was it was a major uh, fuel oil for a couple of hundred years. But I've often heard that parents gave gave their kids cod liver oil, like in 1900 and stuff around there. Oh yeah, yeah, I got some they when did. I was a kid. Okay, so it, it wasn't that it wasn't consumed internally. You're saying in the 60s, so when it really busted out, right? When it really, yeah, market. That, that, that was only the liver oil, and it's very different from the the regular fish oil. Fish oil has what they're selling now. Uh, isn't isn't from the liver, and so it has practically no vitamin value. Very very small uh, contamination with vitamin D and vitamin A, but uh, not, not enough to be therapeutic like the liver oil. So cod liver oil is different from fish oil. Oh, oh tremendously wow. different. Yeah, is cod liver oil then healthy? 
if you don't have other sources of vitamin A and vitamin D, mm-hmm. uh, uh, if, if you live in Norway, for example, that's where it got started. Uh, the winters are so dark, yeah. people found that they benefited. And if they didn't uh, like the taste of, of the fish liver, uh, they could uh, maybe stand the taste of, of the liver oil. I see. But it, we can get plenty of A in our food and D in the sun, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, egg, eggs are a good source of vitamin A, and uh, getting sunlight is the best way to get your D. So you see no no reason to do even cod liver oil for um, no, only well, like you say only in, in, in certain yeah. areas, yeah. yeah, in certain areas. Yeah. Ray Pete is with us, uh, and Patrick Timpone, Ray May, uh, uh, One Radio Network dot com. Good to have you here. Uh, please uh, 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 stick around. We have uh, uh, some good emails coming in for Doctor Pete. If you have one, Patrick at One Radio Network dot com. Doctor Richard Ulrey, authority on minerals, talks about gut bacteria making the vitamins and absorbing the minerals, how it all works. We need vitamins from our gut bacteria so we can absorb minerals, and then minerals provide a resonant frequency. And those minerals carry these frequencies into the body, and multiple minerals will give you a frequency that allows all of our proteins to have individual distinct frequencies, giving that three-dimensional structure. This is where Wayne's products, Living Stream, and that's the only primary products I carry, when you do a stool test and it says you don't have any bifobacteria, well, if you don't have any bifobacteria, you're not going to absorb certain minerals. If you don't have any lactobacillus, you're not going to absorb certain minerals. Here's an idea of a couple of the living streams you can take for what we're talking about here. The bifido, living streams multi-blend, and the living minerals. So you get in the minerals, the bifido, and the lactobacillus. And these special probiotics and minerals are all in human DNA form, and they are living alive. In our store on OneRadioNetwork.com. These are creation of Wayne Blakely. Wayne has uh, literally moved to Missouri, and he's uh, working with a huge piggy manufacturer. speaking of pigs with Dr. Pete, and uh, because he believes that with these probiotics properly given to the pigs, he can uh, he can stop all of this weird virus bacteria. I don't know what they're calling it. They got all kinds of names for it around the world with the pigs. China has huge issues, and the pigs are just getting really sick, and their babies are coming out, and they're being born dead. And so he really thinks that with the right uh, gut uh, terrain in in the pigs, that he can uh, he can help these people and not lose all these pigs and. So it's a big deal, and it's a big. It's going to be a big experiment, and we're going to keep tabs on him. But uh, he, he's a very smart guy making these products, and I think you'll enjoy uh, trying some. They're in our store, uh, OneRadioNetwork.com. Starving for vitality, we're turning to energy drinks, stimulants, and pharmaceuticals to try to improve our focus, increase our metabolism, rescue our sex drive, and adapt to the stresses of modern-day living. Each year, an elk sheds its impressive antlers, regenerating an even larger set the following year. These velvet antlers have been a revealed
revered traditional medicine for thousands of years. Elk antler harnesses the adaptogenic and highly regenerative growth factors from this natural and ethical resource into a concentrated, bioavailable extraction. Its revitalizing effects span bone, muscle, and nerve support, improve metabolism, cellular repair, sexual potency, anti-inflammation, vascular strengthening, and hormone production. Humanely harvested from free-range U.S. elk, extracted in organic alcohol, and protected in mirror glass, our elk antler is available in three strengths to restore your vitality at any level. That's Daniel Vitalis for Thrival. Elk Velvet Antler, team up with a little low. Pine pollen, you're gonna, you're gonna have a lot of good things happen in your, your, uh, testosterone, um, department guys. And ladies too, um, seem to, uh, a lot of the ladies seem to, to do well with, uh, both of these, uh, especially going through peri, uh, premenopause, perimenopause and all that stuff. And uh, any survival link, you can check it out. Two of, uh, Ken Roller's really fun products are the Scalar Energy Device, the, the Rest Shield. It's a golden pyramid. You can uh, buy one of these guys through our website and put that uh, right there um, as close as you can to your to your bed. Uh, they go at about 20 feet or so, and that helps to reorganize a bit. Uh, the, uh, uh, the They do a good job with the cell phone towers if you got one coming in your home, and there's cell phones there all over the place. So it's a kind of a nice investment. Also, uh, there's some real science behind structuring water and having it become more hydrating and... Uh, uh, he has a water structuring device called the Vitalizer Plus, the same page when you click on the Golden Pyramid, and uh, you can put in your probies and other minerals right in there and then structure them all up there and then give this to your dogs and cats too, uh, the same water. And it just makes them more available and uh, they'll get de- dehydrated. So you can see the Scalar Energy Device Golden Pyramid right on the front page of our website. We're talking with Dr. Ray Pete and... Uh, uh, on OneRadioNetwork.com. It's uh, Dr. Ray Pete. It's uh, RayPete.com. And he's got a place there where you can sign up for his newsletter. It's a very affordable thing. Oh, um, How much is your newsletter again? It's that- $28 by email. $28 for that for a year, right? Uh, yeah. Cool, cool. And oh, no, 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 it's uh, 12 issues, but it's two years. Oh, 12 issues for 28 bucks. Wow. That's a good thing. Cool. Good job with that one. Um, if, uh, Patrick at oneradionetwork.com, uh, talking about water. So what's your, what's your take on water? I don't know if we've ever talked to you about water. And of course we have the Batman Gelich idea of one half uh, ounce of body weight for every uh, pound. And uh, talk a little bit about what, what your research shows and, and, uh, mm, dehydration and keeping enough water in there. Um, salt is one of the uh, important factors in keeping us hydrated. Uh, in the 50s, the drug companies came out with uh, diuretic pills, new chemicals uh, to make you lose water, and uh, they sold them to pregnant women uh, to prevent water retention. And it, it turns out that that's a very bad idea because uh, the during pregnancy, you have to retain water in your bloodstream, expand your blood volume tremendously so it can take care of the growing fetus uh, as well as as some other circulation. It, uh, whole new systems of, of blood vessels have to be supported, so you need more blood volume. And to do that, the what retains the blood 
the water in the bloodstream is largely the protein albumin, but the albumin doesn't retain water unless there is an associated uh, sort of a cloud of sodium atoms associated with the negative charges on the albumin protein. The combination of sodium albumin uh, uh, retains uh, uh, water in right within this system of atoms and molecules. And if you don't have enough sodium, if you take a diuretic that makes you lose sodium, the water that goes with the sodium uh, does not uh, just uh, uh, reduce the blood volume, but it reduces the ability of the albumin to pull water, to keep water from going out into your tissues. Uh, so the, the albumin, instead of pulling water out of your tissues into the bloodstream, the albumin itself goes out of the blood vessels into your tissues, uh, creating a kind of edema and swelling that uh, does not, it isn't the typical pitting edema. It's a, a very firm uh, resembling myxedema mm -hmm. of hypothyroidism, but it's simply caused by the lack of, of sodium, which is needed to keep water in the proper compartments. Uh, so without uh, sodium, you dehydrate your circulatory system, but waterlog the functioning tissues so they don't work very well. Uh, so it's putting the water in the wrong place. And in experiments, uh, two different groups gave women with toxemia of pregnancy uh, great water retention and high blood pressure. They gave them extra salt instead of diuretics to make them lose salt. And with this supplement, in one case, I think it was six grams a day. In the other uh, group, they gave them 20 or 21 grams a day of extra salt. In both cases, their blood pressure quickly came down to normal and, and their toxemia Phew. was cured wow. just by getting that, that considerably uh, big dose of daily salt. So the edema, puffiness around the ankles or lower legs, and I think, there, like you said, there's two different kinds. Right? The kind that you press in and they kind of keep that uh, little um, indentation in there. And then, it's come to, then there's some... What's the difference between those two? Uh, uh, the the um, uh, if you have protein leaked out of your blood vessels into the um, among the tissue cells, that protein is uh, slow to move under pressure, uh, and uh, if it's from the salt deficiency causing leakage of uh, albumin, or if it's from uh, hypothyroidism. Uh, causing uh, accumulation of of a, uh, a sugar-containing protein, uh, either either of those uh, makes the water uh, uh, stick around your tissue cells, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it doesn't get easily pushed back into your blood vessels under pressure. So it, it tends to stay uh, once it gets uh, into your feet, for example, by gravity. Uh, then it, it doesn't all come out during the night. Uh, a, a simple edema 
uh, will uh, correct itself during the night just because the pressure is uh, less extreme. But when you stand up, uh, if if you don't have enough sodium and albumin, your blood loses uh, water uh, into your into your lower extremities, uh, and they swell up. So, so, so people that they get the puffy ankles, they could actually just try taking more salt and seeing if that doesn't clear. Uh, I, yeah, uh, you want to make sure your protein intake is adequate, and uh, when you increase your protein, you want to make sure that you're not overloading on phosphate. Uh, uh, phosphate is uh, now being recognized as a, a kidney toxin in a, hmm. a, in kidney failure. Uh, just too much phosphate is one of the most toxic uh, things that damages the kidneys. Uh, and so if, if you're going to increase your protein, uh, use uh, uh, f- forms that are not overloaded with, with uh, uh, phosphate, uh, meat, fish, uh, and uh, seed proteins uh, are the highest in phosphate. Leaves uh, and milk and cheese are the lowest in phosphate. Oh, so you can get, you can get over phosphate if you're doing uh, too much meat. Uh, yeah, definitely. That uh, pure meat eaters uh, eventually, uh, like the Eskimos, uh, had. Uh, when they were on a largely meat-eating diet, uh, they aged quickly beyond the age of 40, and hmm. their their bones had 10 or 15 percent uh, less mass than uh, people in the same region who were not eating a, a pure meat diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's an email. This is a good one. Eric, he wants to build more muscle. Who doesn't? Um, what are some foods that we can eat to help muscle building? That's a good question. Uh, protein, protein is an essential uh, thing, but you you have to make sure, again, that it is not excessive in, in phosphate and that it has uh, the B vitamins, vitamin D. Uh, vitamin A is uh, essential for uh, uh, making protein, uh, but you don't want to get too much carotene. Carotene turns off your metabolism, blocks your testosterone production, for example. So you want uh, natural animal vitamin A, such as you get in eggs and liver, uh, and not too much of that either, because that also is uh, toxic to your your thyroid. But it's needed for making uh, muscle protein, other proteins, uh, and uh, the steroid hormones. uh, progesterone and, and testosterone. Mm-hmm. We had a fellow on the other day who was a weightlifter kind of guy and talking about pe- uh, hormones and said that guys could do safely a little bit of progesterone from the wild yam, you know, on your little little dab of it. Uh, do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Uh, if you take uh, the amount a woman would use uh, to replace uh, uh after menopause, that's mm-hmm. about 30 milligrams a day. Mm-hmm. That can antagonize a man's testosterone and create a momentary testosterone deficiency. But if you take 5 or 10 milligrams, that's more in the range that's normal for a man. And it can actually, by reducing estrogen production in a man, it can make the testosterone effect much more potent. 
both testosterone and uh, progesterone are capable of uh, reducing the synthesis of estrogen, but testosterone can be converted into estrogen if you don't have the progesterone and thyroid mm -hmm. hormone mm -hmm. uh, then you're liable to uh, convert your testosterone into estrogen and and lose the masculinizing effect of, of the testosterone so that's why he was saying just a little bit will do you I, I didn't he didn't give a, a a formula but you say about five to ten grams if the guys are going to uh, try but, but, but mill, milligrams oh, yeah. milligrams five to, yeah sorry five to ten milligrams have a little bit of progesterone cream. And it comes from wild yams, just from yammies. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, well, it, it can be made from uh, several different plant steroids. Uh, I, I don't think the majority is now being made from yams. I, I think uh, it's cheaper from from soybeans. Uh, but it, Yeah, you don't want to do that, right? Uh, well, yeah, no? because it, it, it's cheap and uh, it's... Uh, all refined so that you can't tell what plant it came from. I see. It, it's chemically so purified that uh, there, there's no difference between uh, whether it comes from uh, oh, a, a ginger, I think, is one of the plants, and uh, uh, soy and yam. But uh, uh, the, the bulk is now made from, mm -hmm. from uh, soy, but it, it's all just as good. Uh, are beans... Uh Estrogenic, where you want to not do too many of those? Uh, beans? Yeah, beans. Um, I, the, yeah, the, the, that type of plant. Uh, uh, many years ago, they found that uh, sheep uh, would miscarry if they uh, grazed on uh, leguminous hmm. uh, plants, uh, clover, uh, alfalfa, uh, uh, beans, and peas. Uh, all in the plant do have estrogens that are enough to act as a birth control pill for animals that are sensitive, such as sheep. Uh, but uh, in in the bean itself, uh, uh, there are other toxins uh, designed by by the plant to make them indigestible. Uh, so people have developed technologies for cooking them, them properly. If you soak them. For a day, uh, any any grain is uh, if if it soaks at room temperature long enough to start the uh, sprouting enzymes. Mm -hmm. Those enzymes work uh, similarly to the cow's rumen, uh, activate detoxifying processes. Uh, to to uh, grow, the plant has to reduce its own toxins and uh, convert them into uh, growth proteins. Uh, so soaking a bean uh, detoxifies it quite a bit. Uh, then very long cooking uh, until it softens uh, further reduces the toxicity of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's ways to do the beans and the, and the grains uh, where they're, they're, they're digestible. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but they're still a very low-grade low protein. Mm -hmm. uh, Compared to leaf protein, uh, uh, the quality of the protein in, in leaf is similar to milk or about 70% hmm. as perfect as, as egg yolk protein. Uh, so, so leaves and milk are similarly high quality. Uh, 
muscle meat is a little lower quality by most uh, definitions, but the bean and grain protein, uh, most of them are, are way down on the scale of uh, 5 to 10% in quality, meaning that uh, for for good muscle building, uh, they they function as nothing more than energy. Mm-hmm. Might as well eat sugar as beans. Oh, might as well eat sugar. What about uh, the, you can these days you can get some pretty good, very good quality uh, grass fed whey protein. Do you think that's a reasonable food powder? Uh, uh, the whey isn't quite as uh, nutritionally balanced and safe as the casein. Uh, you separate the milk. Uh, you get different qualities in the different proteins. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, the whey is good quality protein, but uh, for for many purposes, casein uh, is better, the solid part that goes into cheese. Oh, you mean overall. Uh, but 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 you don't think it's a negative thing, a good quality whey protein for people? Uh, no, no, no. It, it's a good protein. Compared to beans, it's, it's uh, extremely good. Yeah. Do you have to... To do the whey proteins, do they have to ferment this at all, or they just separate it out? You know, uh, there are different ways of separating it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it now is done with an acid treatment rather than uh, having bacteria make the acid. I think they just add an acid to cause the, the curdling and separation. Yeah, yeah. You want to be careful on which one you get. Does Doctor Pete have any insights on leg vascular insufficiency? Or lipodemia. Oh, we were kind of talking about. Thank you both for making uh, his these shows available. You're welcome. So, did we cover the leg vascular insufficiency and lipodemia, or or not? Uh, oh, um, uh, or is it different from what we were talking about 20 minutes ago? The uh, edema in the legs, in particular. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, uh, having uh, swelling of the legs and feet will. Uh, uh, the, the pressure from the uh, tissue outside the blood vessels, uh, that simply uh, pushes on the blood vessels and makes it uh, very hard for the blood to get through. Uh, just like if you uh, uh, put put your hand into a pressure chamber uh, and uh, uh, applied pressure, uh, the, the, if it when the pressure equaled uh, 150 millimeters of mercury, for example, uh, your, your blood pressure wouldn't be sufficient to, to push the blood through the vessels. Uh, and the same thing happens when you get swollen tissues around uh, your blood vessels. The, the swelling pressure can reach the point that the blood can't get through. Uh, so it isn't just... A, a matter of what's happening inside the blood vessels. But if you have extremely high fats in your blood, uh, that does in- increase the viscosity. Uh, if your albumin, it's a very small protein, but interestingly, having high albumin increases the fluidity of your blood. Uh, other proteins like fibrinogen uh, make your blood thicker. Uh, so fat and fibrinogen are uh, viscosity increasers. Uh, albumin and uh, salt are uh, make your blood uh, literally more fluid. 
uh, you can uh, correct the the fibrinogen and and fat content uh, by lowering your stress basically, uh, and that includes things like uh, not having an excess of phosphate in your diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, having making sure your thyroid function and vitamin D levels are good. Uh, those those are the uh, three most neglected anti-stress factors in our culture. Huh. The three again are the low thyroid, the uh, low thyroid, low vitamin D, mm-hmm. uh, and ec- excess of phosphate. Excess of phosphates, and those guys come from the ones before you said what the the meat. Uh, too much meat, um, fish, and and beans, beans. Beans and grains are also excessive in in phosphates. Phosphates, phosphates. Ray Pete is with us. Patrick Timponi, One Radio Network dot com. Here is um, Kevin. He did a PSA test with his doc, and the doctor said it's high. And uh, can uh, Doctor Pete give us uh, his opinion on this whole PSA testing? Is it viable and what do I do now? Because he doesn't want to take any drugs. Um, in the 1980s, uh, they were looking for ways to diagnose prostate cancer, uh, and they decided that this particular antigen uh, was a sign that something was wrong with the prostate. Actually, this particular protein is a defensive reaction to some kind of irritation or, or problem. Uh, it happens that uh, cancer uh, does lead to uh, uh, an increase of this protein, but it's a defensive reaction. Uh, a company several years ago uh, was planning to develop this as a product to sell to treat prostate cancer because it has in itself, it has an anti-cancer protective effect. But but anyway, uh, uh, the main drift of the industry was to use it to diagnose prostate cancer. So it came on the market, I think, around 1991. And in the next two or three years, there was approximately a 50% increase in the deaths from prostate cancer. And that is a general effect of uh, diagnosis. Uh, If you're using a treatment that produces uh, some degree of mortality uh, in uh, in the process of curing the disease, uh, if you suddenly start treating many, many more people, the death rate is going to increase. That's what happened. A tremendous yeah. surge in the deaths from prostate cancer in the early 1990s. Uh, in the later 90s, uh, a journalist asked, went to a, a convention of prostate specialists and asked these men who specialized in treating prostate cancer, what would they do if, if they discovered they had prostate cancer? Almost all of them said they would do nothing. They were giving estrogen treatment and surgery to their patients, but they knew that they were 
not curing prostate cancer. So they said if they had it, they would not treat the prostate cancer. And around the beginning of this century, that became public. And the idea spread watchful waiting watchful after waiting. the diagnosis. Yeah. In hmm. other words, not treating, not using estrogen and surgery just because hmm. you have prostate cancer. Hmm. And so the, the, then the mortality rate dropped. Hmm. Uh, uh, it, yeah. if it's okay to diagnose it if you don't treat it. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. What's the connection between uh, well, pumpkin seeds and zinc and prostate that's been touted to be a good thing to help the guys keep Mr. Prostate strong? Something to that? Um, usually people eat their pumpkin seeds uh, well salted, and I think uh, increasing salt for many people is an extremely beneficial thing. Uh, years ago, when I read uh, about the effects of pregnant women curing their toxemia by eating a lot of extra salt, I knew a lot of women who had premenstrual syndrome, and they would uh, have swelling uh, for a couple of weeks. They would right. swell up and get irritable, yeah. and, and they would crave salt, but they all said uh, that they knew salt would cause water retention, so they, even though they craved it tremendously premenstrually, <laughs> they decided that they shouldn't eat it, but still they swelled up. <laughs> and I told them about the pregnant women and said, why not eat the salt that you crave? And their very first uh, cycle, they simply ate as much salt as they craved, and they didn't swell up. Uh, over uh, several years, I, I saw that happen over and over. If they followed their tastes, uh, their premenstrual uh, symptoms were tremendously reduced. So I, I knew some old people who were told to restrict their salt. Invariably, they developed insomnia when they uh, stopped eating stopped the salt, salt that yeah. they craved. And their blood pressure was not cured. Uh, I told them, uh, some of my friends uh, about the experience of the women with PMS and the pregnant women, yeah. And a couple of my old friends uh, tried uh, disobeying their doctors and, and salting their food as they, uh, as their taste indicated, and their insomnia was cured. Very interesting. So th this craving, and I know personally I do, and I know other people that, that crave salt, is it generally we, we really need it because we kind of crave it, we want a little bit more on this particular food? And how would we know if we're getting just too much and we're kind of the craving has turned into a, I don't know, just some kind of habit or some kind of a, you know, something that's out of balance. Uh, generally, people's thyroid function decreases with aging or with stress. And when your thyroid is low, you don't retain salt properly. You, you lose salt in your urine very easily when your thyroid is low. And when you lose the sodium, you're uh, aldosterone increases. Aldosterone causes uh, increased blood pressure, uh, and uh, over time it, it it causes fibrosis and degeneration of blood vessels and heart. So low thyroid uh, leads to these heart disease conditions, largely because of the salt loss 
huh. causing aldosterone to increase. Uh, when, when I worked in the woods, uh, we had a, a cook who was a fanatic. He, he knew people lost salt when they sweated, <laughs> so he would put a tablespoon of salt in our morning porridge, and he wouldn't give us our ham and eggs if we didn't eat our porridge. <laughs> and so everyone would gag down the salt. And then they gave us a, a bottle of salt pills to take because we would sweat. I, I would get white salt crystals on my eyebrows and arm hairs. Uh, uh, the, the body adapts by lowering uh, the aldosterone uh, so that the salt is lost easily and it even comes out uh, abundantly in your sweat. But then uh, you lose the salt in just a few hours, and so you need salt pills to prevent fainting. Uh, after a week of that, having to eat salt pills in the afternoon after having a, a tablespoon for breakfast, I got the idea that the, the body was adjusting. So I told the cook over the weekend that I had seen a doctor who told me to go on a low-salt diet. So from then on, I got porridge without the toxic <laughs> dose of salt. And immediately that week, I stopped sweating crystalline salt. Uh, so uh, that was my first uh, endocrine experiment yeah, yeah. On, on myself. Uh, the, the, the adrenals adjust very quickly. But uh, the, the background to that is that aging lowers your thyroid function and uh, your thyroid uh, deficiency causes you to lose sodium. So uh, the, the craving in most people is a very biological thing. <clears throat> uh, but you you could correct it by uh, correcting your thyroid function, which makes you retain salt efficiently, ah. efficiently so you don't need to eat so much. So uh, people like uh, myself and others who do a lot of saunas, I do a sauna almost every day and I sweat a lot. That would be another reason why I would crave the salt if I'm losing it through my sweat. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So when you sweat like that uh, uh, in saunas, is it the salt you really need? Uh, people talk about electrolytes. Uh, what's the difference between salts and electrolytes? Uh, the main electrolytes are, are uh, salt uh, and uh, uh, the minor ones, potassium, magnesium, calcium, mm -hmm. uh, the, the main one in the blood is sodium uh, and uh, uh, a moderate amount of calcium and potassium and magnesium. But, but the sodium is the one that is most often uh, correctable. But you can, uh, you can take electrolyte uh, oh, things, I, right, extra if you need to. Uh, yeah, it's good to have a generous amount of, of all of them. Uh, if they're pure, uh, they they regulate themselves so you can eat a huge amount of extra uh, 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 calcium, magnesium, uh, and potassium. Uh, if, if you took a lot of potassium all at once, it could stop your heart. Uh, and uh, too much magnesium can make you unconscious. Uh, it, it has been used intravenously as an mm. anesthetic, but when, when you take them orally, uh, your body adjusts them, so uh, it, it isn't a, a matter of uh, 
having the, the right proportion going in, your body uh, can do the sorting. Do you know those little, uh, that company, what is it, the, the electro mix, or, you know, the little emergency, you know, those little packages? You think those are reasonable? Do you know that product? Uh, I think they call uh, electro mix, uh, electrolytes. I, I, Do you yeah, know those? Yeah. Uh, uh, those, those are all okay. uh, basically beneficial if they uh, aren't contaminated somewhere along the line. Yeah, who knows about that, right? Um, here, this is from uh, a fellow in Switzerland. Oh, hi there in Switzerland. What laboratory test would Dr. Pete advise for a good health assessment? Would the following markers be a reasonable choice for a middle-aged man to do the TSH, T3, T4, prolactin, DHEA, testosterone, cortisol. So he's asking about all these different to test for, vitamin A, vitamin D. Um, uh, talk a bit about uh, people going to do blood tests, some of the key things that they might want to do to help this fellow and others. Uh, doctors are often reluctant to uh, uh, follow the, the patient's uh, interests, uh, giving uh, DHEA uh, uh, e- even TSH, they're sometimes reluctant to do often enough. Uh, vitamin D should be done pretty regularly uh, if you live in a, a northern uh, or, or uh, uh, temperate climate where you don't get uh, uh, sun all year round. Uh, there are some tests that are very uh, rarely done uh, routinely. Uh, free fatty acids are extremely important. Uh, uh, stress will increase the free, free fatty acids. Uh, uh, the, the most common tests that, that people benefit from are, are the ones you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, progesterone, DHEA, uh, pregnenolone, testosterone, those. Uh, TSH and the thyroid hormones. Uh, uh, prolactin is a pretty good indicator of stress and imbalance when it rises. And then, of course, you got the fibrogen, right, and the A1C, the kind of classics. Those are those are good markers, right, of potential problems. Uh, yeah, lactic acid in the blood is mm-hmm. another thing that should be done more often because uh, a lot of people, uh, because of stress or hypothyroidism or, or nutritional imbalance, will chronically have uh, more lactic, even though it isn't uh, recognized as acidosis, uh, a a rise in lactic acid is a good indicator of something going wrong in your body. So the ones you mentioned that are are good to know, free fatty acids, prolactin, lactic acids, what are some of the other ones Mm, that you said? Prolactin. Uh, um, uh, Well, the the balance of uh, calcium, uh, and uh, phosphate uh, will show up if you test the parathyroid hormone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is uh, reflecting your status of uh, phosphate, calcium, and vitamin D. Uh, but uh, and that's part of the that's part of the the, the thyroid panel. The ca- uh, no, 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 it's rare, rarely done. Mm. It's extremely relevant uh, wow. to your general health. Uh, uh, your your heart. Health is powerfully influenced by parathyroid hormone. So you can actually test for that. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Well, now, uh, so would some of these generally ban if somebody has a, a really broad spectrum test done? We have a fellow that we're working with. He, he does a 52 marker test, Dr. Lewis, 
52, would they be in, or would you have to ask these special generally, the, the ones that you mentioned, parathyroid, lactic acid, prolactin, or these would be special requests and add-ons? Generally? Uh, yeah, un- mm-hmm. unfortunately, some labs cost uh, uh, hugely for those specialized tests. Uh, the, the Life Extension Foundation now has a deal with labs around the country, mm-hmm. uh, and in the spring, they have extremely good prices on panels, hormone panels, uh, and some general panels, but I don't think they're yet uh, doing uh, some of the very important tests like lactic acid, free fatty acids, uh, and parathyroid hormone. Hmm, that's very interesting. Yeah, a little plug here for Dr. Lewis. We have a, an ad on the front page, and you all can go on there free, take a little quiz. Then if you want to connect up with him, he'll do a 52 marker. I think it's for it's like 350 bucks plus an hour consultation to read, you know, and to interpret the labs. And that's, that's worth 350 right there to most docs. So, so you might want to consider doing that. And then, yeah, ask him about these. I, I've never heard of some of these, uh, uh, parathyroid. Wow. The parathyroid, the hormone again, Dr. P, what does that tell us if we get that tested? What does that tell us? Uh, it, it is, um, increased when you're deficient in calcium or vitamin D or have an excess of phosphate. Mm -hmm. And the parathyroid hormone (laughs) happens to work closely with the uh, uh, aldosterone of the adrenals. Uh, So it responds to uh, thyroid function and adrenal function. And parathyroid hormone, uh, like aldosterone, poisons the function of your uh, mitochondria uh, all through your system. The mitochondrial respiration falls as your parathyroid hormone and aldosterone mm-hmm. rise. Something happened to your phone. It seems like it uh, lost a little volume and clicked on there, but uh, nothing? Uh, yeah, uh, something. Oh, there you go. You hear that? Hmm. Uh, yeah, there, there was an echo in the profile. Okay, there it goes. What is Dr. Pete? Here's another email for Dr. Ray Pete Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com, May 21st. Um, James Corbett will be here tomorrow for Tinfoil tin Hat Wednesday. He's out of Japan. He's really a trip. You'll enjoy hearing some of the things we'll talk about, all the geopolitics in the world and some of the more spooky things going on with Tinfoil Hat Wednesday tomorrow. Does Dr. Pete think there's anything to this more and more people talking about uh, vitamin A toxicity? Seems to be a new thing that people are kind of clamoring about. Any Anything here we need to look at, in your opinion? Um, uh, in uh, 1973 and four, uh, the drug companies were coming out with synthetic vitamin A products, and uh, they uh, found professors around the country to tell stories. Uh, one at I think it was University of Washington or Oregon or Washington uh, put out the story that. Uh, she had seen patients go blind from taking vitamin A. Uh, there were several professors with stories like that, coordinated apparently through the uh, advertising departments of the uh, pharmaceutical companies selling synthetic vitamin A. I contacted these professors. They wouldn't talk to me. Uh, uh, it was obviously uh, just made-up stories to make people fear vitamin A. Hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, one of the popular stories is about uh, some explorers 
who ate polar bear liver and their skin fell off uh, in the following days. Uh, uh, there, there are lots of toxic things that a polar bear's liver might contain. I would think. Uh, but they chose to blame it on vitamin A. And in animal experiments, huge doses uh, that would be greater than you could get from polar bear liver uh, never produce uh, symptoms similar to what the, the polar bear liver supposedly caused. <laughs> Uh, so uh, there, there is a history of of uh, trying to create panic, ah. uh, and that's going on uh, with uh, vitamin E. People are saying vitamin E causes heart disease and right. cancer. Right. Right. Uh, they have products to sell that uh, might might cost a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars a month. They don't want people taking something that costs a dollar a month. Mm-hmm. I wonder what polar bears could eat that might make the livers toxic. I mean, it's pretty pristine up there, right? No pollution and just fish. How uh, could... uh, yeah, but if there's, uh, for example, an algae bloom that the oh. fish uh, have concentrated, uh, that the polar bear will eat uh, mm. either uh, the, the fish or seals that have poisoned themselves eating fish that have eaten algae uh, and uh, the uh, algae toxins uh, are, are a very good candidate for what uh, got blamed on vitamin A. Boy, there's so much stuff in Dr. Pete that to, if you really dig into the history, like anything on planet Earth, it, it's different from what, we, what we've been told. I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, experiments with, with baby chicks, huh. uh, I think they were giving them something like a, a million units huh. of, of vitamin A, uh, which caused brain deformity. Their, their brain uh, uh, stuck out of their uh, cranium as they developed. But if they gave them a moderate amount of vitamin E, the vitamin A was no longer toxic. Uh, so what was happening was hmm. at a certain very high level, vitamin A auto-catalyzes. Uh-huh. It uh, stimulates its own oxidation and degradation. Uh, and uh, the symptoms of vitamin A poisoning become similar to vitamin A deficiency, uh, and <laughs> both of those are prevented by adding vitamin E, which prevents the breakdown. Here's an email for you. What does Dr. Pete think about reducing endotoxins from gut bacteria by using things like uh, garlic, ginger, cloves, black cumin seeds, and things like that? Uh, those are they have their own allergens, so uh, you have to be careful. Uh, they do somewhat uh, suppress bacterial growth, but you have to watch that you aren't a- adding some of these seed defensive uh, toxins or allergens in the process. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's safest to use uh, certain fibrous foods. For some people, uh, uh, clean, uh, rinsed. Uh, bran from wheat or oats uh, is a, a safe uh, way to uh, stimulate your intestine to uh, reduce the endotoxin production. Uh, a cooked mushroom or bamboo shoot, uh, these organisms have antibacterial uh, chemicals uh, built into the molecule, uh, into the organism, so that they will not only act as a, a fiber and a bulker, but they will uh, chemically 
uh, reduce the bacterial population. Uh, raw carrot is another thing. The carrot grows in a very uh, uh, microorganism-rich environment of fungus and, and bacteria, and, and raw carrot will powerfully reduce the endotoxin production. Oh, that's why you like the, the carrot salads. You like the grated yeah. carrots, right, at, at night. Uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, olive oil mm-hmm. and vinegar are both bactericidal. Uh, so a good dressing, oil and vinegar with some salt, uh, mm. makes the uh, carrot more effective and tasty. Yeah. Uh, so bamboo shoots, I mean, the only thing I've ever seen there are in, in oil and restaurants or the bamboo shoots you get in a can. That's not what we're talking about. Can you get, like, really fun, good back, back bamboo shoots somewhere? Uh, only in uh, places like China, uh, Chinatown in, in uh-huh. San Francisco or New York. But uh, the canned ones, uh, you can get a quart or two-quart can uh, of uh, cooked bamboo shoots. Uh, and uh, I always uh, boil them for a minute or two uh, to uh, eliminate any metal from the can hmm. uh, but then if you uh, make a sauce for example cheese and egg sauce uh, they can be a very tasty dish oh and they're good for you there's little bamboo shoots mm-hmm. yeah cool uh here, here's an email from adam bergstrom you know adam he was uh, on the show with us one time he says um, accelerated lipofuscin accumulation and oxidative stress are definitely involved in autism does the oxidative stress cause the lipofuscin accumulation, or is it the other way around, in your opinion? Hmm. It's both. The lipofuscin lowers the oxygen tension. It wastes, it acts as a catalyst, taking fuel directly to oxygen and creating an oxygen deficiency. And that oxygen deficiency... Uh, imitates what happens under stress or in the presence of estrogen. Uh, the uh, low oxygen uh, creates the catalytic condition to uh, further degrade any polyunsaturated fat that's in the environment. Uh, and vitamin A uh, can uh, contribute to that. Uh, an excess of vitamin A without E uh, interacts with the uh, fish oil or hmm. other unsaturated fat to to lead to the uh, accelerated production of lipofuscin. Oh, so the E helps with with lipofuscin if you do some poofas or something. Uh, yeah, oh. it's the main. That that was uh, one of the things that led to vitamin E research was discovering that it prevented lipofuscin and the brain toxic effects hmm. and. Uh, 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 testosterone suppressing effects and so on. Oh, cool. So, would your fave be then one of those like mixed tocopherol, tocopherol kind of vitamin? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think the mixed product is, mm-hmm. is the best. Mm-hmm. Can Dr. Pete tell us how much or uh, is, is sauerkraut really good to consume on a regular basis? Good for gut health, sauerkraut? Um, the, the salt in it mm-hmm. is, I think, the main virtue. Hmm. Just the salt? Uh, yeah. How about the, the rest of it? It's it's okay, but I don't think it's is mm-hmm. uh, uh, health food. Would soaking wheat, uh, writes an emailer, work for making healthier bread? Soaking the wheat. Uh, defi- definitely. Yeah. I, I was a bread maker when I was in graduate school. Oh, you were. Oh. And, and 
I, I experimented uh, letting it soak for uh, 12 to 24 hours, and I found that uh, ordinary bakery bread would cause gas, just a slice of it mm-hmm. uh, would disturb my sleep, but I could eat a whole loaf of my homemade bread uh, with no digestive problem at all. And what would you do? Was it a sourdough? You had your own starter? Uh, no? It was just what came out of the air. Yeah, well, I, I think. Yeah. Good luck getting a, a, the right kind of yeast out yeah. of the air. Uh, but just the soaking activates enzymes, and the actual protein value, where wheat has extremely low value mm-hmm. uh, protein because of the storage gluten, uh, gluten doesn't uh, have great nutritional value, but when it soaks, the enzymes turn it into growth proteins and more than double the actual protein value. Uh, uh, so that you're getting uh, actually some valuable protein in your bread when oh. it's uh, soaked properly. And these days you can even get uh, the original organic einkorn wheat, you know, the old stuff, the old heritage wheat. You can actually get that now at Whole Foods. A lady, a friend of mine out of Italy is is producing that. He, she taught farm. Uh, yeah, the, the, she, the protein quality of, of the older seeds sometimes is, is significantly yeah, higher than yeah. current. She found the seeds and talked some farmers into growing. It's called einkorn. And um, she, had, she had kids that were having a hard time with all the gluten, you know, the, the whole gluten sensitivity thing. And they do fine. And she's a bed breaker. And, and so they do fine with this einkorn. Very interesting. There must be something with this new wheat on all this gluten stuff, huh? The hybridization and all that? Um, huh? Yeah, it, it makes uh, bread uh, lighter. If you're going to make uh, bread in a factory quickly without uh, leavening it the natural way, the gluten has a rubbery quality that makes it possible to inflate the loaf uh, and have a, a rubbery texture. Uh, when when the uh, grain is soaked so that it's nutritionally more valuable, it loses that rubbery quality and, and you get a, a denser, moister, uh, tending to crumble uh, bread. So it isn't popular in the supermarkets. Uh-huh. Wow. Few more here, then we'll let you go to work. Um, does Dr. Pete think that there is a fungal connection to prostate cancer and our breast cancer? Uh, most tumors contain fungus, uh, just because the immune system is deranged, uh, and uh, you'll find uh, lots of junk uh, contributing. Uh, the fungus produces estrogen, for example, but the cancer cells themselves are, are producing estrogen, stimulating their own growth. Uh, and uh, I, I think the, uh, the risk, uh, uh, the seriousness of a cancer uh, increases uh, the uh, likelihood of finding fungus in it. Uh, there seems to be a lot of going on, you know, with the prostate and the testing and they're doing that for the breast cancer too, and where it actually hasn't the science shown that the more you mess around with these things, these lumps and all that, the worse it get, the worse it is. Uh, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the doing a biopsy uh, 
if you believe that the cancer is a mutant cell uh, that is following its own internal rules, uh, biopsy and chemotherapy and radiation and surgery all seem logical. But if you uh, think of the the cancer as a product of something going wrong in the organism that is failing to heal a wound, if you see the the tumor as a wound uh, which is not healing properly, then when you mess with it, uh, you're uh, adding to the problems of the organism rather than solving the organism's problem. So if you think of the tumor as a womb, flesh that a wound. Yeah, flesh that out a little bit. That's interesting. Um, talk a little bit more about that idea. It, when you look at at a healing wound, yeah. Uh, there was an article in JAMA uh, about 50 years ago uh, showing that doing a biopsy of a normal wound, just a, a stab wound or something, mm-hmm. as the tissue heals, uh, doing the pathology, doing a slice of the tissue, any stage of a healing wound can be identical in structure to a, a, a cancer hmm. uh, a pathologist would say, yeah, these are cancer cells. They have all the properties, uh, uh, of occasional uh, abnormal cell division. Uh, uh, the ratio of cytoplasm to nucleus is low. Uh, it, it's invasive mm-hmm. structurally. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's part of a normal wound healing process. But the problem is that the the cancer lacks something to get beyond that stage of healing and, and so it just keeps growing hmm. uh, with, without resolving the, the wound. It doesn't create an organized tissue because something is, is lacking in the system. So the body's, sounds like the body's trying to heal when these cancer cells are getting getting together, uh, in a uh, way? Yeah, uh, you can find uh, quite a bit of research hmm. on that, but it isn't popular, uh, the, the medical business is invested in their super expensive chemotherapies and their radiation equipment, ion beam machines that cost millions of dollars. And it's not good for their investment to question whether the whole theory of cancer is yeah. right or not. Yeah. And you say this this uh, organism that's sometimes called a tumor that's trying to heal, it's lacking in something. Do we know what it's lacking in? Uh, for one thing, carbon dioxide. The person who asked huh. about a fungus yeah. probably had heard about uh, uh, Simoncini in Italy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, and baking soda, interestingly, very often does uh, provide what the tumor lacks uh, hmm. to, to be able to heal. But carbon dioxide is what the uh, baking soda is providing, sodium plus carbon dioxide. Uh, And uh, uh, in the 18th century, uh, people were already uh, experimenting. Uh, The discovery of carbonated water, uh, partly it was closely related to the observation that carbon dioxide helps with cancer. Hmm. And people were already seeing great improvement, for example, in breast cancer just by exposing it to carbon dioxide. Uh, 
there's a, a book that reviews the history of uh, treating cancer with carbon dioxide. For example, uh, carbon dioxide enemas or uh, breathing carbon dioxide or sitting in a bag full of carbon dioxide to absorb it through the skin. Uh, when you're under stress, the, the characteristic feature of cancer identified by Otto Warburg 100 years ago uh, is that it can't stop producing lactic acid, uh, which is normal in an injury, but uh, the injured tissue uh, producing lactic acid uh, stimulates its own growth, which is good for the healing process, but at some point the uh, lactic acid has to stop uh, to uh, allow maturing of the tissue rather than continued growth. Carbon dioxide is the feature produced by the respiring mitochondria, which should turn off lactic acid. But if something is limiting your uh, ability to produce and retain carbon dioxide, uh, then you can't turn off lactic acid. And, and Simoncini's baking soda sometimes uh, provided enough uh, sodium and, and uh, bicarbonate or carbon dioxide uh, to uh, suppress the lactic acid and allow healing to proceed. And do, do we uh, know why this carbon dioxide process sometimes lowered? Oh, uh, low thyroid, low, low calcium, hmm. low vitamin D, hmm. low, low sodium are, are all factors in limiting the ability to make enough carbon dioxide. Huh. Would it be reasonable for folks every now and then to take a little teaspoon of baking soda? I mean, would it be okay? Uh, or help? Or? A- athletes find that their endurance is uh, greatly increased with your typical dose is a, a tablespoon of baking soda <clears throat> wow. at the start of an endurance race. That's a lot for a tablespoon. That's going to taste really, whew, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but even a fourth of a teaspoon sure. of, uh, with water uh, can make a big difference in how a person feels. Uh, I've <laughs> known people who always got uh, swollen feet uh, on an airplane trip yeah. Uh, taking a, a spoonful of soda in water, uh, uh, they, they found that they didn't have the swollen feet. Huh. What's going on there? Um, the uh, When you take in the baking soda, mm-hmm. y- your kidneys uh, quickly uh, get rid of any excess sodium that you don't need. Hmm. But the bicarbonate is able to uh, be turned uh, when when it meets a cell, enzymes turn it quickly into carbon dioxide, which is acidic, and the uh, acidic cell uh, quiets down and uh, stops making uh, so much lactic acid. <laughs> the, the formation of lactic acid it makes the cell alkaline, and the, the baking soda uh, uh, provides the carbon dioxide that will reacidify the cell and stop it from producing the lactic acid. Oh, very interesting. So, but you wouldn't want to do that, I guess, around food time because it doesn't it dilute the stomach acid too. Um, it's quick, the stomach usually can quickly make some more. It's very powerful at producing acid and, mm-hmm. and removing uh, excess. 
does stomach acid, yeah, excuse me, does stomach acid increase with stress or or, or decrease? Uh, it depends on the person. Oh, right. Yes, it could go either way. Uh, yeah. Um, please ask Dr. Pete, what about A1 versus A2 casein milk? Is there a di- difference there? There is a difference, but I've never seen any uh, research that really uh, makes a convincing case that mm-hmm. it, it's important for the health. Uh, the, the, the peptides do differ, and the peptides do have different effects, but our digestive systems are usually so efficient that we don't notice any effect. I see. Uh, it breaks down right to amino acids, which uh, have none of that yeah. uh, endocrine effect. They're out there actually selling A2 milk now. Have you seen that on the shelves or A2? They, they have, it's a whole marketing thing now. Are the new digital x-rays significantly less dangerous than the older guys or more? Uh, it, it, what they're meaning is that they have a more sensitive way of registering the x-rays, the same old x-rays, yeah. but uh, they're, they're claiming that their new machinery can uh, uh, more measure yeah, more small, di- smaller doses. But yeah. in, in effect, in practice, what they're doing is making more pictures, and it turns out that the uh, exposure per visit to dentist is likely to be just about the same because they're they're so uh, enthusiastic about making more pictures. Yeah. Well, what about this thing that uh, was a really popular over the years? I don't know. I don't hear about it much more, but they were really promoting a lot on radio where you take a a, a picture with this, what do they call this, uh, of your chest and look at all the calcium in your arteries What's the name of that? Um, do you know which one? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, uh, high uh, energy, a lot of big, big, strong X-rays things. Uh, uh, yeah, a CAT scan. Yeah, something. Yeah. Doing it. Uh, uh, but um, uh, the, the it, it's well established that uh, medical X-rays are a major cause of heart disease as well as breast cancer. Oh, great. Uh, the the areas that have the best medical care, uh, uh, the, the, the um, area around San Francisco in California, mm-hmm. a very uh, high-income area, had the, the country's highest incidence of breast cancer. West Virginia, a very poor med- medical care, so-called, but also the lowest uh, breast cancer mortality. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, very good evidence that uh, heart disease as well as breast cancer is is caused by medical X-rays. Oh, the the term I was thinking of, Doctor Peter, CT scans. Yeah, they're very popular, very inexpensive, uh, right? Uh, CT yeah, scans. Yeah, they deliver hmm. hundreds of times yeah. more radiation than a chest X-ray. Yeah, a lot. Uh, and yeah. and uh, more and more people have been exposed in the last ten or fifteen years. Uh, you can go in uh, some. Malls and, and get a CT scan <laughs> in a mall. <laughs> in a mall. <laughs> yeah, 
Here's an email from Jill. If someone has a problem converting T4 to T3 and has slightly high reverse T3, are they better off taking Armour or Cytomel? I started Cytomel at 5 milligrams, but started getting headaches. My doctor wants me to switch to Armour. For most people, the combination products such as Armour are, are uh, very good, uh, reliable, uh, can be, the dose can be adjusted mm-hmm. if you are watchful. Uh, women uh, have been known to have at least five times as much thyroid disease as men hmm. because estrogen uh, interferes with the function of thyroid at every level, estrogen. at the gland hmm. and, and at the transport and at the cellular response level. Mm-hmm. One of the things it does is increase cortisol and the stress hormones, and that interferes with the conversion of thyroxin to T3. Hmm. So uh, women are much more likely uh, than men to have a T3 deficiency. Uh, Forty-five years ago, uh, when I was uh, teaching endocrinology, there was uh, a woman at the University of Oregon uh, Hospital uh, brought in unconscious uh, from a, a myxedema coma, they called it. Her doctor had started her on 100 micrograms of thyroxin. Uh, that wasn't enough for her symptoms. He increased it gradually. At 500 micrograms, she went into a coma. Hmm. In, in the hospital, they discovered she had essentially zero active T3 hormone. Uh, the uh, pituitary had been, been suppressed by the high dose of thyroxin, and the pituitary is... Uh, able to activate the conversion, but with the resulting high estrogen and high cortisol, uh, the conversion was, was blocked. So they gave her intravenous T3, and immediately she came out of the coma and, and was well. Wow. But uh, it's very common. Uh, uh, you, you, could, you could say that uh, practically all of the uh, women women with uh, a thyroid problem are deficient in T3 because of that effect of estrogen blocking the conversion. And so uh, they could use it, they could maybe experiment with a little bit of progesterone and the wild yam thing to do, to, would, uh, that, would that help? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the progesterone uh, blocks the uh, formation of estrogen mm-hmm. and uh, also uh, blocks the uh, anti-thyroid effect of cortisol. Uh, Estrogen increases cortisol, which blocks thyroid function. Progesterone blocks both of those and lets the thyroid function normally. So that's why it works for the guys with the testosterone, the progesterone. Same way, Uh, same principle. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty safe, too, uh, what I understand. And do you agree? Pretty safe? Uh, Yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. No one has, has really found any harmful side effects of progesterone, except that it uh, can uh, cause unconsciousness if you uh, <laughs> Overdo take it. A, a huge dose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, final email, then we'll uh, let you go on with your day here. What does your guest recommend for low thyroidism and high blood pressure at the same time? We recently started taking some Living Streams probiotics, which seem to have helped 
other symptoms. Uh, okay, thank you, but not the high blood pressure yet. I stopped taking armothyroid when I started the probiotics. Should I just um, just have eased off of the armor? Oh, so let's see. It sounds like, Dr. Pete, they've kind of just dumped the armor, but their blood pressure has gone up a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, the, the uh, when you're low in thyroid function, mm-hmm. generally your TSH is very high. Yeah. Um, TSH has a pro-inflammatory effect that creates many of the uh, uh, circulatory uh, problems that are blamed on hypothyroidism. It's really mm-hmm. hyper-TSH-ism, mm-hmm. uh, which goes with the low thyroid function. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so keeping your TSH down is very important. Uh, I've, I've got uh, several dozen articles uh, showing that the hypertension was cured when they corrected their low thyroid problem. Ah, so that's why she got off the armor, and then maybe the why the why her blood pressure went up. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, that's probably the the largest cause of hypertension is low thyroid. But you have to watch yeah. uh, the the intestine health yeah. is extremely important when your thyroid is low. Your digestion is slow, and uh, toxins from the intestine contribute to the, the high blood pressure. Yeah, yeah. Well, well Dr. Pete, good job. Thanks uh, for spending uh, some time with us here today. We appreciate it. Okay. Yeah, it's always fun. Now, your website, again, is com. You have lots of articles. You have a, uh, um, uh, uh, what is it, 12 different, uh, 12, what would you say? I'm sorry, 12 different uh, 12, 12 subscriptions or 12 issues of your... Uh, uh, yeah, 12 issues every other month. Every other month. Over uh, two years. If you want to get your, your uh, on the special yeah. email thing, and you can do that right on his website. Again, thanks a lot. Have a, uh, have a pleasant uh, day up there in the Northwest. Okay, thank you. Thank you, sir. Dr. Ray Pete. well, always good. Now, boy, I tell you what, you got to take notes, right? Whoo, man. <laughs>